Thanks for listening to Cato Sports. I hope you enjoy the pod. Give it a follow. Share it with your mates. I appreciate the love. This is Cato Sports. Welcome into the pod. It's Cato Sports coming at you on a Tuesday, as always, May 9th. Just a, a fascinating round of footy. It was wet, it was cold, teams didn't kick very well, but I, I think that's the purest. This is when footy is just at its best. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was because I felt like. It's not really a dramatized thing. I'm not trying to overzealous things. I'm not trying to make up stories. I'm not trying to clickbait anyone. I really just want to, you know, run people through how it is. I'm going to recap all nine games uh, in today's episode. I'm going to go through each one because I think the reason people listen to sports media is not because they want to be clickbaited about, you know, whether Buddy Franklin got booed by a couple hundred Collingwood supporters or, or you know, whether that was a sling tackle or an arm tackle. No one cares. Nobody cares about that stuff. I think what people care about is wanting to know why their team won or lost on the weekend. Who were the big key cogs in your team either taking home the, the four premiership points or not. So, you know, I'm going to give you all nine games. I watched all nine games over the weekend. Um, excited to go back onto the couch. Therapy Sessions is back once again this week, so I'll do that a little bit later on in the episode. Uh, but let's kick it off. Friday night, Brisbane Carlton. Now, a lot of people have been speaking about this a lot in the media. I don't think it's as big of a deal for Carlton to lose this game as maybe some people are making it out. Now, they have a tough run to come. They've got a lot of really good teams in their next kind of four or five rounds. Um, But again, they didn't lose this game against Brisbane because, you know, they made too many errors. I, I think maybe they're just, at the moment, Carlton are not Taking the game on in the at the points in the game that they need to, I think they they really need. I don't know if it's leadership on the field or if they need a little bit more, uh, you know, someone out there to 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 really take the game on. That's not just the 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 person who's their designated game take on type player, which is which is Sard. You know, they need guys like Cripps and Walsh and 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 Chera to go through the middle of the ground to and, and and for it to be a team thing as well you know i think at the moment Carlton are this mob where it's like oh you know we've got six great players not 22 great players and i think you know there needs to sometimes be a little bit more given to those players i mean my notes from the game one brisbane too classy um they're really well set up in their forward line, Brisbane. They create so many mismatches. And whereas at, at the other end of the ground, I felt like Andrews and Jack Payne were the perfect matchups for Mackay and, and Kerno, respectively. So Carlton weren't able to 
you know, get too much going through those big forwards. And when they don't get too much going through those big forwards, then it becomes, well, is your midfield kicking goals? How are those periphery players playing? You know, is Jack Salvani able to kick a few goals? And then it becomes a really tough assignment for Carlton to win games of football. I mean, uh, just in my opinion, looking at the two best players for each team, which is probably Cripps and, and, and Dunkley, I looked at Cripps in the third quarter when the game was on the line. He had three touches, one tackle. Dunkley had 11 touches, five marks, two intercepts, three tackles. I I really like the discussion of, you know, what you like in, in your best player as well. I think it's interesting. I think Cripps is one of the best ever at contested inside ball winning. He He just is. However, I don't think he's got many tricks in his bag outside of that. And then, you know, you look at someone like Dunkley and go, well, he can go forward and kick goals and does. He can go inside and, and be an inside midfielder and and win his own ball. He can play on the outside and win ball on the outside and, you know, be a link player for them. He can play a defensive midfield stopping role as well. And he can drop behind the ball Um and be a loose man in defense and, and you know, take intercept marks and, and clean it up there as well. I just, I love how versatile Dunkley is. And I think sometimes we get caught up in, oh, you know, someone like a Cripps had, had 35 touches, but, you know, how much impact did he have on winning the game? I mean, I watched Dunkley's game and it was like, geez, he just is so good in the right moments and he gets back defensively and he can hit the scoreboard and, you know, if he needs to win inside ball, he can. And he's never out of a game. He's never, oh, he had a he had a bad quarter because, you know, the game wasn't working his way. He can always adapt to the game. So I really like that. I mean, going back to the Brisbane forwards, Charlie Cameron just had a, a, a masterclass session on, on Nick Newman. And I think that's a bit, he's an unfair matchup for most teams. It's going to be really tricky for teams to match up on him throughout the season because he's just too dynamic for a lot of small defender types. Uh, let's get into the next game. Richmond West Coast thought it was actually a really, really good first half of footy. Um, West Coast came to play, and I think West Coast actually are trying really hard at the moment. They might not be able to put it on the on the ladder and, and, and get the points at the end of the day, but they are trying really hard. I think Oscar Allen has looked amazing down forward. He's having one of his best seasons so far in defense. I mean, I called it the start of the season. Jermaine Jones was going to explode onto the scene and he really has. He's using the ball really well. Um, I, I loved, you know, their effort in the first half after Prestia kicks those three goals in the third quarter of the game is kind of over and Richmond got on that roll. They had the home crowd that, you know, they were able to take over ascendancy as we thought they would. Um, but, you know, I, I did like the effort by West Coast just at the start of the game. I'm very happy that Bolton came back after I whacked him last week. He came back. He had an awesome game. He hit the scoreboard. He seemed involved. He wanted to go and get the ball because when Someone like Bolton has 30 touches for your team. You are a massive chance of winning a football game because he's so dynamic when he when he has the ball in hand. So I thought that was really good. I also think that their young ruckman, Samson Ryan, as much as he was a little bit of a meme and a joke at the start of the year, he looked really comfortable. And he's tall. He wins taps. Um, I know that Williams, who he was versing in the ruck for West Coast, isn't really that tall and he's not the greatest ruckman of all time and he's really just filling a gap for the injured West Coast 
uh, players that aren't there. But Samson Ryan was able to get back into defense. He took some good marks. So I was very happy with his performance. And, you know, hopefully this can kickstart Richmond a little bit and get them going into the 2023 season. Geelong versus the Crows. I loved this game. I thought it was an absolute ripper. Uh, I loved how the Crows hung around. I think maybe at the end of the day, Geelong just won a few too many one-on-one contests, especially early in the game. The Crows forwards couldn't really get anything going. My player of the round, uh, almost of the whole AFL this round was Jake Collajasny, and it's not going to show up on the ranking points. It's not going to show up on your super coach points. You know, he's not Tom Stewart who had, you know, 17 uncontested kicks in the back line and eight uncontested marks and, you know, two score involvements, but he scored 120 super coach points. Collajasny had eight one percenters for the game. He went at 95% disposal efficiency. He had five intercepts. He kept Rochelle to one of the worst games he's had as a pro. And we've seen what Rochelle can do to teams. He's so such a live wire down forward. He can really produce and score and create. And and Cole Jasney locked him up for the whole game. So I just thought it was a you know one of those team efforts where you really had to watch the game to go, geez, he was absolutely one of the best players on the field, if not the best player on the field. Um, and yeah, just I loved his game. Radagalia as well has just come on so much for Geelong as a backman. He he reads the ball better than the forwards do a lot of the time. That My notes here say he doesn't get outmarked and he's reading the, fl- the flight of the ball better than the forwards do. So, you know, to have that weapon come into your team in 2023 that you didn't have previously just shows that, they're doing the right things down at the Cattery. And then the other one that I really liked, which goes back to my Dunkley point, was Max Holmes uh, is such a versatile player. Dangerfield goes down in the second quarter with a hamstring. And Holmes was playing a halfback kind of defensive role. And they said, God, we, we're going to need something in the second half with, with Danger going down. They move him into the midfield. He has... 13 touches, four clearances, six tackles and a goal in the second half. It's just like, again, having those types of versatile players and weapons that you can kind of just move between positions and they're so comfortable to be able to adjust in-game is a really, really you know big plus for Geelong. And I think Holmes is going to be a serious player. He runs hard all game. I, yeah, I love what he's about. Um, yeah, uh, Riley O'Brien, I wanted to give a... A little uh, shout out to him. I thought his ruck work was really good. Murphy for the Crows, I think, played one of his best games of the year as well. He was really active, hungry in the last quarter. He won a lot of one-on-one contests that, you know, started to sway the uh, game back in Adelaide's favor. So I thought Murphy played really well. And Blitzarbs as well was excellent too. Again, can do everything. He can ruck. He can play as a defensive midfielder. He can go forward and kick goals. He can get behind the ball and play defensively. So, yeah, Blitzarb's another great uh, game as well. Melbourne versus Collingwood. Another really good game. Eh? One of my favorite games probably that I watched of the round. It was up between those two games. Um, game starts off. Matt Rao, just after he eats grass to start the game, goes ballistic. He has five clearances in the first quarter. He's <laughs> Dwayne Russell in the call was just calling him a bull the whole game, and I couldn't. I couldn't knock it. He is. He's just the biggest bull in the game. And 
he kept that midfield kept Gold Coast in the game against a Melbourne team that was, in my eyes, much, much better, much more talent around the ground than they do. The midfield of Gold Coast kept in the game. It was around the first quarter, but for quarters two, three, and four, Ando was just dominant. He had 37 touches for the game, 10 clearances. He kicked a goal. He was tearing the ball out of the middle. Wits, Raul, Anderson, it's just a, a really good combination. And, you know, they're, they're missing Took Miller at the moment, so they're a little bit down like that, and that meant that they had to play Raul and Anderson in the midfield for longer stints. I think maybe late in the game, late in the last quarter, that kind of came back to hurt them because they didn't have the run in the legs and you could see they were gassed later in the game. And, and you know, maybe Melbourne made a couple of decisions that were a little bit better going late into the game and they were able to just close it down and, and win it. But I really liked how that Gold Coast midfield put it up to Petrarca and Oliver, who we know are great players and they are every week great players. But they were shown, you know, how it's done by some younger guys in this game. I, I thought it was awesome. It was sad, I think, in that third quarter to see Ballard leave with that neck injury. I think the way Gold Coast has set up their back line at the moment is really, really impressive. I, I really like the fixtures of having Ballard there and Collins, two bigger guys, and then having Will Powell, who's this distributor type, coming off the back line. And then you also have McPherson, who's a little bit more nuggety, and you know he kind of... He's been playing a really good defensive role and using the ball as well. So they've got a good setup they got going on there. I mean, McPherson's having a career year. So is Ballard. So I think they've got it going. An- another little mention just to Rosas for-, for Gold Coast. He ran the lines of the game really well. He moved into space. And I think as a young player, when you're not winning the ball, Go and get on your legs and move and run into space. Run even if you don't think you're going to get the ball. Even if there's a 10% chance you're getting the ball, run into space because that's what's going to open up the game for your teammates. And you do end up getting on the the occasional one. And I think Rosas did that really well. Why did Melbourne win? Well, I mean, they, they just don't concede easy goals. That's what... That's a pillar of a good team. They don't concede easy goals. It kind of felt like all game, Gold Coast were really working hard to to try and score and they were putting these big chunks of effort in and 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 it was paying off occasionally and then Melbourne would score the, you know, the the next goal in a matter of seconds or a matter of minutes. Just a really quick reply and it and it you know, kind of just make sure that they never lose ascendancy on the game and it, they've always got a bit of control there. Uh Melbourne punished the mistakes. They kicked eight goals from forward half intercepts to Gold Coast two. They played to their strengths. Uh, they moved it quickly. Yeah, uh, they also didn't lose many one-on-ones in, in forward half. Chol, King, Levi, they were all kind of not as important in the game. And and I, I think that win probably goes to the young guy, Turner and and May and, and Lever. So they, they had a good game down back as well. Um. I'm going to do Freo Hawthorne, then I'll go to the break. So Freo Hawthorne, (laughs) Hawthorne were pretty terrible. I wanted to just talk about something that really annoyed me, and I hope it annoys you as as a viewer. I think it will, and it probably does, is for some reason Hawthorne always take the five meters and step back off the mark, which means that always the player marking the ball in any position on the ground is allowed a free kick of the football with five meters space every time they mark the ball and for a team that like Frio that have been struggling at the moment but are at their essence a kick mark team 
being able to mark the ball, turn around and have a five meter gap between you and the opponent every time you mark it means you can just stand where you are, analyze where you're going to kick the ball and make your next kick. And they're set up to do that. And they took advantage of Hawthorne doing it. It just... It really frustrated me. I think when you can come up and stand on the mark, even if someone has to run past you, they still need to run past you and you can chase and tackle them from there and you can put pressure on them from there rather than this unpressurized kicking situation. Also, when you take the mark, you have to step back off the mark. You can't just kick from where you mark the ball, which is what Freo did for, for four quarters. And then the other one was Hawthorne won 11 of the first 13 center clearances and we're losing it at, at halftime. It, it just is so hard for a team to win like that out of the middle and then not put the score on the board and then continue to defensively having to stop because the game works in waves. And when Hawthorne are on top and you're getting all these clearances and you're getting the ball forward, but it's just, you know, a field day back there for Brennan Cox and Luke Ryan and, and Alex Pierce who are just sitting under f- fly balls that are coming in and, and, and ill-directed kicks. It just makes it so easy to defend. I, I just, you really need to look for that player 50 to 70 meters out who's going to take a mark and then deliver the ball with good execution inside 50. Later on in the episode, I'm going to talk about it, but Jack Sinclair is the perfect example. St. Kilda's coaching staff now, Lenny Hayes, Brendan Goddard, Ross Lyon, they've gone and said, we need someone who can kick the ball effectively going inside 50. Our best kick on our team is Jack Sinclair. So we're going to move him from the back line where I think you know, history tells us we've had good kicks coming off halfback. I don't think that's the case anymore. You want fast players coming off halfback. You want people who are going to move the ball quickly and take chances coming off halfback. And you want your good kicks at half forward, delivering it inside 50 so you have the best chance at kicking goals. And good opportunities because bombing inside 50 teams have too, they're too well set up for that. And that's all Hawthorne did. They just bombed it in, and then they tried to set up a zone. And at the moment, Hawthorne does not have the team cohesion to set up a strong zone. There was just so much, uh, so many gaps. A lot of the time from from kickouts, there was someone 50 meters out from the kickout directly in the middle of the ground, and Fremantle would hit that kick, and Hawthorne would go, oh, crap, we don't have anyone there. They'd turn around. The next kick would go to their forward half of the ground for Fremantle and they'd be, you know, looking to go inside 50 and and getting good shots on goal. They were very effective going inside 50, especially in the first half when the game was on the line. 14 of 19 entries, they had scores versus Hawthorne's eight out of 29. So Fremantle were just able to effectively get the ball inside 50. I just think, you know... In a game that's so tight, if you have a zone that has holes and, and and kinks in your chain of armor, you're in trouble already. And Hawthorne had a lot of those. They gave up a lot of easy disposals because they stood off the mark. They weren't able to capitalize on the ball going forward, and Fremantle just killed them. And, you know, Andy Brayshaw, he had one of the best games of the, of the year for him. Um, I think he was really out of form the last few weeks, but he's he took his game to another level on the weekend. I think he had about 35 touches, two goals, eight tackles. Luke Jackson also killed Hawthorne. He had a 24 touches, which was a career high, 16 contested, two contested marks, and two pies to, to go with that. So, you know, just a really solid game. My other notes here say Alex Pierce, Luke Ryan, Brennan Cox, no mud on their jerseys, training Jill, 
drill, zero anxiety. So that's how I kind of wrapped up that game. After the break, we're going to do therapy sessions with Kato. This is Therapy Sessions with Kato. Welcome back to Therapy Sessions with Kato, where we take one AFL team and we put them on the couch. This week, the Sydney Swans. Now, I know Sydney, very good culture, very good team. I think the first two games of the season, the Suns and the Hawks, was a bit of a it was a bit of a fugazi. It was a bit of a fugazi. It wasn't a real indicator of where the Sydney Swans are at. And it gave them a bit of a false sense of hope. They really jumped into the season, went, oh, easy smash. They beat Gold Coast by 50. They beat Hawthorne by 80. And they go, how good's this? But I think two bad teams didn't really show what the last month of footy has shown. And we've seen when they had losses to the Giants, close game. The Cats, 100-point belting. The Pies couldn't convert, kicked a lot of behinds. It's not that easy. And And... And there's a few worrying signs there. I think the first one is any team that's young and is coming off a premiership contention effort and loses really will fall away a bit. And that's because you have an extra month of football you have to play. It's a lot more grueling. There's a lot more attention on you. There's a lot more emotion involved in the season. You know, if you finish up and you didn't make the finals and you finish in in August, it just doesn't hit you as hard. You lose a grand final. You're a young player. This is exactly what you wanted. This is the biggest stage for you, the first time on it, and you lose, it hurts you. And when you look at the, the, the list they've got, There's a lot of players who were those young players that maybe outperformed last year, maybe went to levels that we didn't really expect them to, and that's what put them in the position that they they were in. Guys like Warner and Goulden and McInerney and, and Blakey, these guys who really had solid, solid seasons, maybe aren't getting to exactly that level at the moment, and it's kind of showing. They're going out against good teams like like Geelong and getting smacked. They're going up against teams like Pies that are really well set up and that connection just isn't there. They're unraveling a little bit. I thought that for long periods of the game between uh, Sydney and Collingwood, Sydney had the ball a lot. They moved the ball reasonably well, but then it got to half forward and they had nothing. They couldn't hit a target going inside 50. They couldn't hit the right kick. They were getting picked off by Collingwood players all day. And it was all just falling apart a little bit. And then, just as good teams do, just like Melbourne did against against Gold Coast, Collingwood does the same. When they get their opportunities, they take them. And I, I, I just think that's a bit symptomatic of a team that maybe just has lost a step because of having a longer season last year and there's a lot of young guys and we all know that when you feel success for the first time as a young player to then go back and go I'm going to compete even harder the next year and I'm going to put in more effort in the off season and I'm going to make sure that I'm more ready than I was last year to compete for the next season doesn't always happen even a team like Geelong we saw they go and win the flag and they're flat for the first month of footy they're absolutely flat but They've got more experienced heads. They've got a good group. They've got a a winning culture. They were able to turn it around. So I think there are some issues with Sydney, which 
can be resolved. And that's why you're on the couch. The first one I'll say is they're going to they're gonna fix that connection going forward. And I think the way they're going to do it is they should move someone like Goulden, who's been playing kind of in that midfield halfback role. I'm going to roll him forward because as, as good as he was on the weekend, he had 35 touches. I'd rather have him getting 20 touches or 25 touches playing on that half forward arc and delivering the ball into Franklin and delivering the ball into McDonald and delivering the ball into Papley and Heaney rather than him getting all the good disposals that he's getting across halfback and then it's that someone else that's got to get the ball and move it forward because that's where you want to that's where you've got to deploy your better players i think that's the the MO at the moment get your best players between that 50 and 70 arc cuz that's where they're going to be the most damaging you don't need to have 35 touches behind the ball we want you to have 20 really good touches and hit a bunch of targets going inside 50 so that's one thing i think they could do to fix that connection that they just didn't have going inside 50 this week and over the last few weeks I think one of the advantages that they've got is their run over the next three weeks is a real nice rebuild. It's a building. They get Frio at home, which they should win. Then they get North away, and we know how bad North have been over the last month. They really are falling away. And then they get their statement game in three weeks' time against Carlton, and they get that at home. And if there's any team you want to play a statement game again, it's it's the Blues because they don't bring much when the pressure comes on. So I think that's a really good run that Sydney get, and I'd be really, you know, if I'm a Sydney supporter, I shouldn't be too down in the dumps because you've got the talent, you've got the young guys, you've got old heads at the club still. Horse Longmire is a premiership coach, Buddy Franklin is a premiership player. Luke Parker is a premiership player. You've got good players still in that roster who are going to be there through this period. And with those three games leading into the Carlton, two games leading into the Carlton game, I think you can shore up some things and make some changes. The other one is, I think Sydney's always had a very strong cultural stand. They're always able to make a stand as a club and say, we're not going to cop this. We're going to come back and we're going to perform. And I think having that strong culture, having that ability to, to come back, having the reputation of being the Bloods, that all helps as a coach, as a leadership group to draw on that and go, this is what we've done previously. This is how we're going to do it and, and, and really go after it. So... Don't fear, Sydney Swans fans, you haven't had the greatest start to the season, but you've got the cattle, you've got the leadership, and you've got the time to make the changes to fix it up and get you going for 2023. After the break, recapping all the rest of the games of the round. Welcome back to the pod, Cato Sports, recapping all nine games this week. Really excited. Let's jump into the next one. Gold Coast versus the Dogs. Um, pretty ding-dong battle. Both teams came to play. My notes say really tough game of footy. We know these two teams have history. We know these two teams, when they play each other, do not like each other, and they both bring a lot of effort. Uh, first note here is Tom Green was made for Canberra. I mean, they should probably move the whole damn club, GWS, down to, down to Canberra. That, their best player plays his best games there every single time they play there. He's had 30, 38 and three goals. He's just completely ripped 
<laughs> the dog's a new one. Um, and if it wasn't for Marcus Bontebelli, he would have been the best player on the ground. But Bont is just electric. He's he the way that he can just uh, pull the ball out of contests without you know he doesn't always have to be in the contest. He can just extract it with his hands. The way he uses his body to create space. The way that he's able to create and, and, and move the ball forward and effectively as well. He's not just this bomb kicker. He's a beautiful kick of the footy. Um, I just loved Bont's game. Um, those two bulls going at each other for, for four quarters was really awesome to see. Um, both these teams have really strong midfield, so really it shows up on the on the scorecard at the at the end of the game. We know that Libba has strong games. We know that Whitfields and Kelly both have had really good games as well. Um, I thought Norton was instrumental in actually winning the game. If he could kick straight, he would be the best forward. He's easily the best contested marking forward, I would say, in the league. He just, when he launches at the ball, it is so hard to stop him. He just is not that good of a kick of the footy, which is really just lets him down. But he's so strong in the air. Um, I just thought he was excellent. And in the last quarter when the game was on the line and West Coast need, uh, Western Bulldogs needed an answer, he was absolutely there to give it to him. So, I mean, I think that was probably at the end of the day, you need your big guys to stand up in big moments. And he was really, really good. Uh I did touch on the Sydney-Collingwood game. A couple of notes on that game. First one, uh, Nick Dacos. Tag him every week. Even though he had 25 touches, his whole uh, output was nullified. He didn't have the game that he wanted to. I know everyone on the radio will tell you, oh, but he's only in his second year. We we can't tag him. We can't tag him. Just if, if people are talking about the kid, and he is deservedly so, a Brownlow medal chance, tag him. That's it. Don't worry about how old he is. No other sport in the the world worries about how old anyone is. If they're really good at what they do, then you got to stop them. So I I like the fact that Sydney went after him with the tag. Um, Brody Majacek is probably the most underrated player maybe in the history of the comp. He's been the full forward for for a team that has been dominant now for for a couple of years. And he's kind of forgotten. And every week he comes to play, every week he kicks goals, every week you look at the scorecard and go, oh, yeah, Majacek kicked three, Majacek kicked four, Majacek kicked five. Oh, yeah, he, he was a lot better than whoever we had on him. And it's just, I don't know, he doesn't get talked about enough. The fact that he's come into the league, you know, halfway through his career, his, his kind of life. He didn't come in as, as an 18-year-old. He came in as a 25 or 26-year-old or whatever, and he's been able to produce the way he does. It's just really uh, outstanding. So Brody Majacek, take your hat off. As usual, Pendlebury comes back into the team. He has 32 touches and dominates. Um, Collingwood, I spoke a lot about them last week. I'm not going to speak too much about them this week. We know how they come after teams in the last quarter. We know what their mentality is. They score just so highly in every category that comes to the mental side of the game. So Collingwood, really, really strong performance by you guys. Port versus Essendon, another ripping game of footy. 
Uh, you know, another another one where I was just glued to the TV, couldn't get enough of it. Um, where am I going to start? Essendon are an honest team. I was talking to a friend about this during the week. Essendon are an honest team. They come out and give everything and they make you go and beat them. They make you defend the ground. Their defense is set up really well. Uh, they really struggled. Well, they struggled after Ridley left the ground, but before them when they had Redmond, Ridley, Thatcher, all playing really good roles and, and keeping Dixon corralled throughout the game, not letting these guys get off the hook. I think it was Finlayson that was the more effective of the of the port forwards. Todd Marshall didn't really have a big game. So they just set up well defensively, Essendon. Their midfield are hitting their straps. We know how good Merritt is. We know how good Parrish is. It's Draper who's coming in and playing really well. It's Perkins who's kicking big goals in in games. He's kicking them from outside 50. And, you know, it's Kyle Langford who's now, a you know, looking like a serious forward. He leads up at the ball well. I, I played against him in junior football myself and always thought, geez, this kid's pretty good. But he is... He's just, again, he's honest. He is everything that the Essendon team wants him to be. He leads up at the footy. He kicks goals. He makes space. He lays tackles. He takes big marks. Yeah, he's just been awesome. And, you know, if it wasn't for, I think Porter's a more talented team than Essendon. And they're always going to be able to produce kind of sick moments. And and they do with guys like Rosie and Junior Rioli and, and Butters. Um you know, doing a lot of damage to 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 other teams that, as they did on the weekend. Port probably should have won the game by maybe a bit more. They had a lot of missed shots at goal. They, had, I think, they had a twenty behinds or something like that. But that's probably because Essendon were pushing them wider. And yeah, so I thought it was it was a ding dong battle. The class of Boke, the class of Rosie, the class of of Butters late in the game. I thought Horn Francis was excellent again as well. Um, that's probably what just got poured over the line, a little bit of the home crowd advantage, stuff like that. So, yeah, but a, a really good game, two really good teams, and I think they're both going to play finals at the end of the year. So I, I was I was really enjoyed watching it as someone, just as a, uh, as a uh, neutral supporter. Last game that I'm going to cover for the round uh, was a bit of a stinker, North versus Saints. No one could kick a goal in the first half. I don't even think North kicked a goal in the first half. Um, God. If if North could give Larky as many opportunities as, as they could, they would win a lot of games. He takes the opportunities when he gets them. He just never damn gets the ball. And it's, you know, it, it just shows up. Zebel has 36 touches. At fullback, and Larky has, you know, two or three touches. He had seven touches. He kicks three goals. That's the type of team they are. Their their backs get a lot of the ball, and then it just fades in the middle, and the forwards get nothing. Um, again, the Saints not the best game they've ever played, but yeah, they've they're smart. They go inside fifty well. They hit up at the ball well. Higgins. Owens, Butler, they're always involved. They're always getting good looks at goal. They're efficient with their scoring shots, especially in the second half. They were efficient. They missed a lot of shots at goal early in this game, but just overall, the Saints did what they needed to do to win the game. 
I don't really know where this lands, North Melbourne. Um, their season is kind of already over. Um, they still have a lot of kind of battling guys on their on their roster. Goldstein, Shields, McDonald, Lowe, Darcy Tucker. Um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of guys. Aiden Core, Mackay. These guys are should either be in their prime or some of them are a bit out of their prime and they don't really come to play and they're not very good. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a roster that's very well put together and it's going to take Clarkson probably a while to fix it up. And we know that they've still got young guys to come back into the team and it sucks that they lost um, Cherry and it sucks that they lost Combin and it, you know they haven't been able to get Wardlaw out in the park and we've seen how good Sheasel is. So there's, there's more to come for... For, for North and, and and as for the Saints, you know, it's a tick off the list win for them and they'll move into the next phase of their season and hopefully work on a few things. I think, you know, maybe they need to bring in a little bit more. Uh, uh, they're very efficient. Maybe they need to win, look at dominating some games and winning by 50 and 60 points, taking games away from people because as the season goes, Percentage is going to be something that's important at the moment. They've, you know, they've had a couple of good wins. They've got a good percentage. They need to continue that because teams will come for them. I'm, I'm looking at teams now, and Geelong have got a great percentage, and Melbourne have a good percentage, and Lions and Collingwood will all have good percentages. And the last thing you want as the Saints is to be, oh, we had this great season, but we ended up finishing, you know, seventh and we don't have a home final, and we've got to go to Port Adelaide and play against them, or we've got to go to Brisbane and play against them. So if I'm the Saints, continue on your merry way. You're having a really good start to the year. Keep notching the wins. Keep putting the pressure on your opposition. That's the episode. Covered all nine games. Hope you liked a little bit of detail in each of the games. Um, Really love bringing you the podcast every week. Uh, shout out to my producer Perm as always themes by Kevin McLeod I will see you next week that's a great idea Cato